So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am super excited to have my good mate Craig Budgen with us, who also happens to be a member of our Freedom Warrior program. Craig, welcome. Great to have you here. Hi, Selena. Thanks for the invite. Good to be here. So look, the reason I thought it would be great to have you as a guest on this podcast is that, you know, you and I have exchanged a lot of ideas and notes around the topic of how as accountants or people with accounting backgrounds, we can use numbers to really tell a story. And one of the, uh, I guess, magical ingredients of Freedom Warrior is you know, constantly looking at how different decisions, you know, in terms of where it will take you and, and what the impact of different decisions will be. What I would love to kind of maybe just riff on with you today is the dangers of that and maybe the the pros and cons of doing that. Because, you know, I think one of the things accountants know, love and trust is spreadsheets and they can be incredibly powerful for helping you with decision-making, but they can also um, steer you in the wrong direction if you're not careful. So you're you're someone who's been around the traps for a long time. You run a very successful accounting practice for business owners. Could you just maybe share a little bit of insight into you know maybe how you've used proformers and forecasting and how you've seen it used well and then not so well? Yeah, sure. So I guess. You know, it's that old story, isn't it? Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And yeah. and really with statistics, you can make them tell whatever story it is that you really want them to tell because you can highlight others and not others. So like, like anything with budgeting or forecasting, it's all in the assumptions. And sometimes the assumptions get lost by the person who's looking at the spreadsheet because they're just looking at the results. And they're either thinking, oh, that's good or that's not so good, but they're not taking into account the assumptions or the parameters that the person who built the spreadsheet has used in order to get those numbers. So um, it can look really, really promising and really, really good, but in reality, it's nothing like that. And we see that all the time, actually. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I think from my perspective, the reason I've kind of had a love affair with spreadsheets is that I think that what they're great for is giving you a flavor of what's possible. I think that it's really important, as you pointed out, that you understand what assumptions have been made. Um, but I also recognize that, you know, and I, I've probably heard this more from my husband, John, than, than anybody else, but I sense it from others. If you're not from the world of spreadsheets, if you, if you haven't been part of a, a world where you've had to use it for work or for business, spreadsheets can sort of seem a bit voodoo and complex yeah. And so this is where I think people can go wrong with it is uh, looking at spreadsheets, feeling a little like it's voodoo and they don't fully grasp it, and then just taking what numbers get spit out as the gospel. Where have you, where have you seen that not working so well? Yeah, because 
usually what happens with a spreadsheet is there's so many numbers on a page that, you know, to the uninitiated, it's just a big jumble of numbers and they just look where they've been told to look as opposed to where they really should be looking. For me, the big thing that I love about spreadsheets is if you do them properly, you can use the spreadsheet to be able to um, scenario build or what if. So you could say, well, we're going to use a growth rate of 7.2% here, but let's say it was 4%. What does that do to the numbers? Um, And when you start doing that with the client, that's to me where the real power is because you can work out what a client's risk threshold or capacity is, and you can dumb down those numbers to more suit their risk levels and get the numbers then that they, you know, would be happy with and then see what that looks like. And the power of spreadsheeting for me is not just, you know, me doing a spreadsheet for you and then printing that out and going, there you go. It's actually sitting with you and being able to run through all the different scenarios and the changing in numbers happening just like that as opposed to, you know, having to go away and do them every time someone says it. So the power of spreadsheeting is being able to, Scenarios build or what if with the spreadsheet with the with the client, um, yeah, and when you do that, it's good. Yeah, yeah, really good response. I was actually going to ask you as well. Like, let's let's talk specifically about wealth investing, property, those sorts of areas. My experience around this is that there are people out there who do a great job of it, and others that don't do so well. And one of my concerns is that especially for younger investors or less experienced investors coming into property, typically what I, what I witness is that people use spreadsheets and forecasts to paint a very rosy picture of what, where they'll be in the future. And I know you and I have, have, have talked off camera about this stuff. I'd love to kind of get your take on, um, you know, maybe some of the things that people need to watch out for. Yeah, so I had, I had a client show me one just a couple of weeks ago, actually, where they had forecast rent increases at 3% increase year on year um, over 10 years and uh, a capital growth rate of 7.2%, meaning it would double, the price of the property would double in 10 years' time using the rule of 72, right? Um, But when you look at real-life scenarios, that's kind of not what happens um, and so what looked like a really rosy picture for, for these clients, they were looking at it thinking, wow, my rent's going to be like that much in 10 years' time and my loan's going to be down here and, um, you know, the property's going to have doubled in price. And But that, that doesn't happen. I mean, it's happening at the moment because, you know, property prices are going through the roof uh, and so are rental. But, you know, for a good 10 to 12 years before this, Properties have kind of done nothing. So really, depending on where in that cycle you buy, that those rates might be zero or they might be quite huge. And, and so the problem is when you're just looking at a spreadsheet that someone prepares for you, unless you know what you're looking at, if you're just taking the results for granted that they're correct, in 10 years' time, you could find yourself in a real poor position or nowhere near where you thought you were going to be. And by then, it's too late because you've wasted 10 years on this strategy, which hasn't worked. Yeah, that, that's really that's really great insight. I think um, one of the things that I've felt over the last probably 10 years is that the, the way that the wealth industry has evolved is there's lots of kind of um, offshoots of different property professionals and, and business professionals 
that specialize in property. And the, the reality is that they're really, really good marketers. And so I think if if I were going to put my two cents worth in on, on the debate of, you know, how valid are the sort of projections that they do, is it really boils down to your capacity to do good due diligence and, and look behind the numbers. You know, I remember there was a a point in time, maybe about six years ago, where I, I had a, a handful of glossy brochures that were all people selling either houses and, and units off the plan or house and land packages or um, buyers agents for for towns I'd never heard of. And, you know, it was really confusing. I mean, and someone brought those to me and, and just said, well, which which one do you go for? And the, the challenge is as an investor, putting all of that aside and doing some actual hard work on, well, where do I think makes sense to invest and then finding evidence to support or work against that. And then secondary, going and finding the deal. So I think um, projections are a really great way, I think, of trying to understand which way to go. You know, do I do I go houses or units? Do I go alternative or traditional? Do, but um, I, I still feel that the pitfalls that a lot of very vulnerable investors expose themselves to is confusing marketing with the facts and the you know the ability to discern what what's good and what's not. Have you got any um, instances where uh, property has outperformed? what you thought it would be. I mean, it's it's always good to take a positive spin as well. You know what? Unless you've bought very lately, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> you, you know, because if you if the buy and hold strategy, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the buy and hold strategy. Don't get me wrong, especially if you're young because you've got the power of time on your side and you can ride cycles. So at some stage you are going to get, you know, decent uplift. But, you know, people who... Those marketers that you're talking about, if, if they're trying to tell you that they can read the market, I'd, I'd seriously question that. Um, it's like me saying, yeah, have I got a stock tick for you? Like you just you just don't know, right? And yeah. so the, the, the problem is that you are putting your faith in someone who's telling you one thing when, you know, the reality is it's probably something completely different. So, look, I'm glad that my client came to me and spoke to me about it because we were actually able to talk about a number of scenarios of why that might not happen the way it did. And I'd, I'd encourage everyone to go and talk to their accountant because accountants have got a, you know, a general grasp of a lot of different things and they're usually unbiased as well. Um, the other thing that they might do is actually look at, especially if they've owned it for a while, look at your own property. If you've owned your own property for 10 years, what was it worth 10 years ago and what's it worth today? Like see what that actually happened and did that happen the way they've spreadsheeted it, probably not, would be my my um, my thought. And so, really, for me, it really comes down, like you said, doing your due diligence of what the assumptions that have been made. And the problem is, I think a lot of mum and dad, or even small business owner buyers, they don't know how to do that due diligence. They 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 don't know the right questions to ask. They don't know what they should be looking at. Um, and that's why I think it's really important to get some outside help, not the person selling it to you, but it's a trusted advisor to help you with, okay, well, this is what they're telling me. Is it right, wrong? Does it, you know, does it smell right um, yeah. or not? Yeah, exactly right. And I think, yeah, ultimately you're asking the question, does this make sense? 
I think a, a great example of this was uh, a few years ago, I was coaching a, a younger person who was just itching to get their first property deal under their belt. And this this person was, uh, I had so much admiration for them. They, they'd worked really hard to, to scrape together a deposit. And when we looked at the, the kind of the pro formas or the projections of deals that she was able to afford, they were pretty glossy. But, you know, that, that very question is, does it make sense to you? Would you live there? Do those sorts of growth areas, are they, do they make sense with what's happened in the past? And, you know, we kind of came to the conclusion that they didn't. And in the end, my, my general advice to her was, you always want to be buying the, the best quality real estate deal that you can at the point in time that, that you want to deploy. So for her, the decision was between buying something cheap to get a foot in the door or waiting another six to 12 months until she had a bigger deposit to go for something that was clearly going to give her growth over time. Yeah. And she chose the latter, which was really, which was fantastic. But I think the, um, the dilemma that I hear from a lot of business owners who are maybe, you know, in established businesses that are doing relatively well is that I don't have the time. I don't have the time. I have you know, so much on my plate that by the time I get to the end of the day, I don't have the energy to be looking at spreadsheets or or doing research. And in which case, if you're buying, buying, say, you know, local property, this is where talking to other investors, you know, using, you know, qual, you know, good quality buyers, agents, things like that can actually make a lot of sense. And as you've pointed out, I think accountants, where they can really add value is they can probably smell a rat a mile away. <laughs> Absolutely, because most of us have been around the traps a long time, um, and we and we understand numbers. So when we see those spreadsheets, again, when that client brought me that spreadsheet, within about a minute, I just went, "Oh!" And and you know, it's you can really pick the the flaws in something quite quickly. It's not that we know property better than anyone else, because we don't, um, but we know numbers really, really well, and so we can see what the numbers are telling the story. The numbers are telling, um, yeah. So what's the framework that you would recommend to people who might take a, a deal to their accountant? Um, what sort of questions should they be asking? Because I know that accountants have um, lamented with me in the past, friends in the industry have lamented that, that they're always getting asked, is this a good deal? Yeah. And, you know, that, that's such a difficult question to answer and, and probably one that most accountants don't want to answer. What are better quality questions to be asking? Yeah, so an accountant's not going to answer that. Um, their PI insurance won't let them. Um, yeah. But so it's more about, okay, well, let's talk about what makes this a good deal or not. Let's talk about, okay, how much you're spending, what's the amount you're borrowing, what are the repayments going to be, what is the rent likely to be, what are the people who are selling it, what are they saying the rent's going to be? Have you looked at the rents in the area for that type of, investment to get an idea of whether or not that's true or not and you know google's your friend with this sort of thing you can you know google rent growths in certain areas and it'll it'll give you that information same with capital growth i mean so it's it's about being able to almost formulate your own spreadsheet even if it's not in a spreadsheet but your own idea of what this really will look at and because that's all numbers your accountant is really good at that stuff um, at the end of the day, it's your decision, obviously, as to what you think is a good deal. Everybody has different risk profiles. Some people, 
you know, can't sleep at night unless their eyes are dotted and their T's are crossed. And other people, yeah, she'll be right, whatever. And most <laughs> people are somewhere in between, right? And so that's why it has to be your individual decision. But if you get the right advice to help you ask the questions and even help you look up the answers to them, at least you can make that decision for yourself based on real numbers, um, not just on what some marketer has told you might happen in this airy-fairy world in which they particularly live. Yeah, great, great response. I think um, I think the only thing that I would kind of round this discussion out with is a comment about be careful who you ask for support and advice when it comes to the world of property. I know in my in my past I've I've dealt with some very well-intentioned, say for example, financial planners who often want to position themselves as top of the financial advice tree and, you know, maybe with the best of intentions, but they also speak very liberally about the topic of property. Now, whether or not they, number one, are qualified to speak about that or number two, even have any experience is is questions that you should be asking. You know, I'm always looking and asking accountants and other professionals do you walk your talk? Is this stuff that you actually do? So don't get me wrong, if you're working with a financial planner who holds a lot of property or who's specifically trained in, you know, in real estate, then that's a very different thing. But I, I know that um, there's often people who, you know, colour outside the lines in terms of um, expressing opinions and giving advice. So I think that's that's something to be really mindful of. Accountants are awesome with spreadsheets and numbers. And so as you've pointed out, like I think accountants are a great starting point because they don't have that that sort of bias that that maybe other professionals might have. You know, they're not there's no conflict about how they're remunerated. In line with that, it's all about, you know, you structured properly, are we where are we who's going to buy this and all, all those sorts of things as well. Which is really important. And I mean look, some financial planners are very numbers based. The ones that I refer people to, it's not about a product. It's about let's plan the numbers and then overlay a product into that. Um, others are, you know, they're like banks. Um, they're just sort of product floggers. So you, they, it, you shouldn't be dealing with those people anyway. Yeah, uh, yep. So, yeah, it's definitely important that you know who you're dealing with and what they're, what what the flavour of the advice that they're giving you is. Is it impartial? Is it fact-driven or is it product-driven? Love it. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you coming on and making time for us today, Craig. I know you're very busy at the moment. But, um, yeah, with your permission, I'd love to invite you back for a couple of other chinwags on other topics. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's been awesome to have you today. And and I hope for anyone listening to this, uh, you know, be, be mindful of who you ask advice from and, and make friends with your accountant when it comes to property decisions. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Cheers. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.